0: Father, I want to thank You for Your grace today, Your great grace, such grace. As I stand here today as an ambassador, and even more so a son of God, a brother to Jesus Himself, I just declare in front of this group, as as well as the entire world, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And Father, I want to thank You for that salvation. It is a finished work when You save a man. But I want to thank you that in our spirit, man, we are 1,000% complete. And Father, we have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be worried about, no fears. And Father, as I stand here today as a minister of the gospel, I want to thank you in advance because I always know that what I minister comes directly from you. And Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these hungry people that are hungry for the gospel, hungry for the good news that God's not mad at them, that He loves them with all your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read the story recently of a father and son from Madrid, Spain. They had an estranged relationship with one another, and eventually the boy ran away from home. The father went looking for him. Does this sound a little familiar? <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, Adam. It wasn't God's fault, it was Adam's fault. Nonetheless, God went looking for him. He searched for months for his boy but couldn't find him. Finally, in one last desperate search for his boy, he said, I'll take out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And so he did. He took out an ad in the paper and it read something like this, Dear Paco, I want you to meet me this coming Saturday in front of the newspaper office at 12 o'clock noon. He said, Paco, all is forgiven. I love you Paco, love daddy. Saturday came, 12 o'clock came, and so did 800 Pacos. (laughs) All searching for forgiveness and love from their father. And I thought, God, we've got an epidemic. Of fatherlessness not only in America but in the whole world and it's caused the problems that we have today and Jesus said hey I'll be the bridge I will be that one that comes and reaches down in the gutter reaches down to those that have shattered and broken lives and I will take one hand and grab Paco and I'll take the other hand I'll grab my father and I'll bring them back together that's what you call reconciliation oh praise his holy name Amen." So I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Love for Daddy, Love for Me. That statement is the essence of who Jesus is. It's always been about His love for Daddy. It's always been about His love for me. It's always been about His love for you. It's been about His love for us. It's been about His love for the whole world. Amen? And uh, as I step into my favorite book of the Bible this morning, Romans chapter 5, you'll see that Jesus really is the centerpiece of Romans chapter 5. Amen? I have had an absolute love affair with Romans chapter 5 over the past year. Romans chapter 5 has been to me as the honeypot is to Pooh Bear. (laughs) You see, he just can't get enough of it, and it makes him really happy on the inside. So it is with Romans chapter 5. I can't seem to get enough of it, and it makes me very, very happy on the inside. Amen. I recently, as I told you, had the honor of ministering my brother Kevin's homegoing celebration. He was two years older than myself and went to be with the Lord uh, two months ago. And so as I was preparing for that Word and I was sitting at home and I said, Lord, uh, show me the picture. <laughs> and I, I just opened up, I'm not saying I got caught up in the third heaven, don't get me wrong here, I'm just saying God showed me this picture. And I saw my brother Kevin sitting on this street corner in what looked like just a common chair, a lawn chair. That's my brother for you. Legs crossed. And my brother Kevin was looking up. And anytime anybody starts looking up, what does it make you do? It makes you look up too. And I thought, what's he looking at? And when I looked up in this vision with my eyes closed, I could see this street pole with the signs, the two names of the streets, and he was literally sitting under, I could see it just as plain as day, on the corner of happy and healthy. (laughs) And I just so loved it. I want you to know something Walgreens did not coin that phrase, God did. Heaven's economy is all about happy and it's about being healthy. And when I look at Romans chapter five, the the two things I see that it really does, it makes me very, very happy on the inside and it makes me healthy. It, It works it out from my spirit man. When the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, literally what it's talking about is work it out from the perfect place. Work it out from the spirit man into the soul and into the body. I submit to you that the reason that it makes me happy and healthy should be for the same reason that it makes you happy and it makes you healthy is because what Romans chapter 5 does is it deeply establishes the believer's heart in the truths of justification, righteousness, reconciliation, all in there, love and peace and hope and grace and so much more. Romans chapter 5 tells me if I will wrap my arms around these truths, if I will embrace these truths, I can live happy and healthy, and not just in the sense that we understand it, but I mean spiritually speaking from the spirit man. So Romans chapter 5 has really been my honeypot to a, a deeper revelation of the magnificent covenant of grace. You find that in there so eloquently. When I understand from Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I have been justified by faith, and I have peace with God because of that, and God has peace with me. What I see in there is I just see this gushing love that Jesus has for His Father and this gushing love that He has for me that He would say, I've got this love for my daddy, I've got this love for you, and I always interpret that as just me. So I began this Romans 5 journey about a year ago now when I preached the first message out of that series called, Jesus, the Darling of Justification. Oh man <laughs> we we sing that song the darling of heaven crucified Jesus is the darling of justification he's the one behind your justification believe me he's the one that made it possible for you and me to be justified Jesus the darling of justification it comes out of Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and on the heels of that message there was a message called justification the firing pin unto righteousness. And the only reason I'm telling you the names of these these messages is because by Christmas, what I want to do is have a Romans 5 series. If you want to get one to send to your family or whatever it may be, we'll make that at no charge to you. Send it to whoever you want. You just let me know. Justification, the firing pin unto righteousness. That came out of Romans chapter 5 and also verse 1. And then another message came. It was called, For That Reason. Because that's what the word justification literally means. It means for that reason. Again, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. And then we moved into Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 with a message called Faith in Jesus, the Bridge to Righteousness. I was really gaining some speed now. I moved all the way up to verse 2 now. Faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus, the Bridge to Righteousness. That's exactly who He is, and so much more. And then one of my favorites came out of Romans chapter 5 verse 5, God's gushing love. I love that message. You see, when the Bible says that God poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, that word poured there literally means gushing. This was no water hose from Walmart as I said before. This was a fire hose of God's gushing love being poured into our hearts. Oh man. And then verse 10 and 11, it was look like him the hope of glory and i want to say something about that because as i'm building this message today that message was about reconciliation it's so fundamental it's so essential for us to get this message of what it means to be reconciled to christ and the analogy that god gave me i'll give you one more time again it's like everybody's checkbook it has a register registers keep track of all your business all your transactions once a month you get your statement from the bank And what you do is you bring them side by side, and transaction by transaction, you make them match. At the end of the day, after everything is checked off, if that balance says the same thing as this balance, then that is a reconciled statement. If it doesn't say the same thing, that is not reconciliation. And so Jesus said, listen, I could look like you, in all your sinful way, think like you, that's impossible for God. He said, or I could cause you and make you to look like me. That way you'll be accepted in my Father's eyes. I'm going to make you look like me. This is an amazing thought when you think that, really, really, every single moment of the day I look like Jesus? I do. If you just ask Jesus to come in your heart, believe me, you look exactly like Jesus. Wow! (laughs) That's, That's good news, isn't it? And then finally, the last message I preached was a message called The Beauty. Of reconciliation. And today, as I return uh, back to Romans chapter 5, and as I preach this message, love for daddy, love for me. Today, I want to focus more on Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So the fascinating statement, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You take the two negative words in there, the powerless word and the ungodly word. Let's just spotlight them for just a moment. The word powerless literally means sick and ill and feeble and weak and without strength. It means powerless. And God said, there was a time when you were still powerless. And he said, it was at that time that I sent my son Jesus and he died for the powerless. He died for the ungodly. The word powerless, I I love this because it helped me remember this. It is the Greek word asthenes, A-S-T-H-E-N-E-S. It's pronounced asthenes. Drop off the last four letters and just look at the first four, A-S-T-H. It's where we get our English word asthma. God said there was a time when you didn't have the breath of life in you. There was a time when you were struggling every moment. And if you've ever seen anybody, again, having an asthma attack, I want to tell you something. They are powerless, really, to do much. You can't get them to do much. I mean, if they're in a full-blown asthma attack, you can't. Listen, there's a couple of times in life that I've had the wind knocked out of me. I, you know, just being a boy, <laughs> you'll get the wind knocked out of you. Anybody had the wind knocked out of them before? Oh, so, yeah, there's, you've had the wind knocked out of you. I remember the first time it happened. Well, you haven't lived until you had the wind knocked out of you, by the way. <laughs> you have not lived. I remember the first time it happened. I was about in fourth grade. And uh, right across the street from where we live was this monster of a tree and uh, I built a little tree house up in there I just thought it was cool it had nice little branches up there and I built a tree house up in there you know we had a big storm that came up one day and it uh, it was lightning and it was high winds and it took that tree and laid it right down on its side and when I g- came out on my front porch. I'm like, oh man, now my tree is down. And what's a little boy going to do? He's going to want to climb the tree even though it's laying down one more time. I didn't realize how slippery bark was, you know, when it's wet. And I got up on that tree. It was about that high off the ground, big tree. And I was walking two or three steps, came off of that tree, landed right on my chest and on my stomach. And I'm telling you what, I immediately popped up, running around like a chicken with its head (laughs) cut off, trying to get my breath, could not get my breath, (gasps) struggling to get my breath, oh, it had knocked the wind right out of me. And I was thinking about this last night, I was thinking, wow, this is pretty amazing. The first time the Lord said to me, do you remember the first guy that got the wind knocked out of him? I said, yeah, that would have been Adam, right? He said, yeah, do you know that happened because of a tree too? I <laughs> I never really thought of it like that. It was really Adam's decision, but it started with a tree. But see, what happened with me is I got the wind knocked out of me physically, Adam got the wind knocked out of him spiritually. And because we were encoded in Adam's DNA, we all got the wind knocked out of us, spiritually speaking. We all need this love from daddy. We all need this love of Jesus. We all need the darling of heaven. We all need him. Amen? Amen. Amen. First time I got it knocked out tree, just like Adam. I want to talk to somebody in here, though, this morning that has had the wind knocked out of them emotionally. Emotionally. Maybe it was through the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one. It's a sucker punch, isn't it? I mean, just comes in and knocks. You're not expecting it sometimes. You got the wind knocked out of you, maybe through a divorce. It doesn't, there's so many different ways. That's what the enemy likes to do. You know, another way the enemy has been knocking the wind out of God's people is through the mixture of covenants. What am I saying? I'm talking about when you take the message of law and you take the message of grace and you try to live a life, a Christian life, from both of those postures. It's just difficult. It's challenging. It's just a heartache after one after another. That is a doctrine of devils, friend. Jesus never meant for us to live like that. I'm so glad when Jesus put his breath in me, he said to me, nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can separate you from my love. So it helps me. What it does is to develop this healthy image on the inside of me because that's where my strength comes from, from the Lord when I understand this healthy image of the Lord. And I see that, you know, I was in a state one time of powerlessness where I couldn't contribute. I couldn't help him. And so I was at his mercy. And it was at that time, the Bible says, that Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that word for a second, ungodly. Let's just break it in two parts, un and godly. The word un means not, not K-N-O-T, but N-O-T. It just means not. If I said uh, I'm unprepared, that means I'm not prepared. The prefix un means not. The word godly is godlike. And so God is saying in the scriptures there, listen, Jesus died for you at a time when you were not God-like. Oh, I'm no longer not God-like, friends. I'm exactly like God. I'm exactly like Jesus. And listen, you are too. That's an amazing thing. Start seeing your brothers and start seeing your sisters. Start seeing the people of God. And even start seeing those that have not come to the saving knowledge yet just like God. See them as though they are going to become, in Jesus' name, Jesus died for us that He could make us look exactly like Him and God. The word ungodly, though, actually means wicked. Now, see, we don't like to put that label on anybody. There's nobody I could almost even think of that would say, I'm in that wicked group. But you know what the truth of the matter is? We were all in that wicked group at one time because we were all ungodly at one time. We were all not like God at one time. But thank God that he's rescued us. Would you agree that that label of wicked, it just doesn't get much worse than that? I mean, to be called something like that, it really doesn't. So, what was Jesus' motivation to lay down his life for the powerless? What was his motivation to lay down his life for the ungodly? Love. It was love. It was premeditated love. It was love for daddy. It was love for me that caused him to lay down his life for me. Oh, Jesus, thank you. God's love for us was never based upon our love for Him. It was never based upon anything we've done. It was based upon His nature. It was based upon His character. It was based upon His heart. It was based from His, his love, not because of ours. It came out of Him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus said these words. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He said, listen, if you just love the people that love you, really, what, <laughs> what does that accomplish? He said, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's easy to love people that love you. But how about when they don't love you? You ever had someone that didn't love you and they make it known? He said, listen, Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? How about when they don't love your babies? Mmm... I'm talking about your children. Unregenerate sinners are powerless to save themselves. They are powerless to shed wickedness. They're powerless against Satan. They are powerless to change their natures. Can't do it. Only Christ, only Jesus, only the darling of heaven can do that. But once Jesus shed His innocent blood, do you know he? they took a cat of nine tails? Oh, you wouldn't even want to know what that weapon looks like. And 39 lashes at the whipping post with a cat of nine tails, I want to tell you, his flesh would have been like shredded ribbon hanging off of him. And they took a a crown of thorns and they thundered it into his head and spiked it into his head over and over and over. And I'm going to tell you something, most men, when they had to go to the whipping post, died at the whipping post. You know why Jesus didn't die at the whipping post? Because it was not prophesied for him to die at the whipping post. It was prophesied for him to die at a cross. And it was God sustaining him. It wasn't just his own physical strength. It was God sustaining him. Don't you ever forget, it's more than just your strength that sustains you. It's God that sustains you. And so he was spiked to, yes, an old rugged cross, and he shed his awesome, awesome blood. And guess what? Everything changed. I said everything changed. Everything changed 2,000 years in the future. See, he did something that nobody else can do, and that is he was able to look 2,000 years, 3,000 years, whatever it may be, however long the earth will stand, he was able to see every person that would come to him. And he was saying, hey, I'm doing it for Janet. I'm doing it for Valerie. I'm doing it for Stephen. I see Mark when he'll get on his knees. I see them all, and I'm doing it for them. Amen. Amen? Amen. Satan will never, ever be able to knock the breath out of you, spiritually speaking, ever again. That has been sealed. Your spirit has been sealed. Nothing can get in, nothing can get out other than Jesus himself. Oh, you are sealed, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. That's good news. I'm sealed to the day of redemption. I am sealed to the day of redemption! Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was our breath of fresh air. It was the Spirit coming back into us. Everything changed. We were restored to His glories. Too many believers are operating from a posture of just Old Covenant theology thinking. Not the power. It's not the power. There's no power in the Old Covenant. The power is in Jesus. The glory is in Jesus. And when we make up our mind, it says, you know what? I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I'm going to walk according to what Jesus says. I'm going to walk according to the new covenant. You're going to find that power is going to get released. You're going to see glory get released. You're going to see love get released. You're going to see light get released. You're going to see healing go forth. You're going to see the virtues of God continually manifest in everywhere you go. When you just realize I'm under a covenant of grace. Can't change it. Amen. Let me tell you about this power. In John chapter 1, I want to show you, I want to show you in the Scripture that you have power. So, you're not thinking, I'm just making this up, okay, you have got power, I've got power. We've got power to change the world. We've got power to change circumstances. Number one, it's your words, yes, it's your words. Don't just keep them in, release them. That's why I said I spent this week, every single time I'd step up to a mirror, anything that was reflective, I would see myself in there and I would say, Mark, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Get in the habit of practicing that, releasing that word, that power. Oh my goodness gracious. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. He said this. He said, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God, even unto them which believe on his name. Let's slow this down a little bit. But as many as received him, who's him? It's Jesus. To them, who's them? That's us. He gave power." Who's he? Jesus. So it's literally saying, but as many as received Jesus, to me gave Jesus power to become the sons of God. And that word power there, friends, Jesus said we've got it. Let's talk about it, right? It's the Greek word exousia. Exousia. It literally means the ability. I've got the ability. You've got the ability. He said it means the privilege. It's the ability. It's the privilege. It's the authority and it's the freedom. I love that one. When Jesus said, I'm giving you power, he's saying, listen, I'm giving you the freedom to live a grace life. I'm giving you the ability. I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you this privilege, even unto them which believe out his name. Watch verse 13. He said, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I think it's wonderful if you're born in a good family. I really do. A Christian family, someone that loves God, especially a grace-centered family, I think that's awesome. It's that individual person coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, the breath was knocked out of me at birth. I need the breath of life. I need Jesus Come into my heart. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, he says, full of grace and truth. Friends, when you find grace, you'll find power, you'll find ability, you'll find freedom, and you'll find privilege. It's all right there. You listen, he talks about this power in verse 12, and in verse 14, he's talking about grace. Anytime you find that grace, you'll find that power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. This power is a different word. It is the word dunamis. It means the miracle power. we got to quit being afraid of stepping out and thinking we're going to fail when we pray for people. I'm telling you, when we pray for people over here against this wall, come into agreement with them. Because we are stepping out. We're realizing the miracle power of God is flowing in us and through us. And it's inside of you. Let's go ahead and just come into agreement. Let's receive it. And let's just be blessed. Okay? Let's just be like a little child. And that's why Jesus said, except you become like a little child. What's a little child? They're full of faith. They don't need all the details. They're full of faith. I remember when my little kids were little, we'd get in the car, they'd never say, Daddy, do we have enough gas to get from point A to point B? By faith, they just figured that's all taken care of. Exousia, which is power, dunamis, which is power, Two different powers, two different uh, Greek words here. Literally, what I've said years ago is like this. I saw it like this. One is like the badge for the officer. The other one's like the gun. (laughs) One gives you the ability and the privilege to pull you over. That's the badge. You don't use the gun every time you pull somebody over, though, right? Thank God. But the other one gives you the, uh, the, the power to be able to use the weapon. Our weapons are mighty. They are mighty. And our weapons, first of all, are our words. There are words, that's your weapon. What do you think your weapon is? Come on, it's not a real sword. That didn't work for Peter, it's not going to work for us, right? Our weapons are mighty, our weapons are our words. Whether you're just praying for somebody and declaring something, or you're just simply speaking words. I'm telling you, words have power. The whole world was framed by God's Word. He said in the beginning was the Word, okay? And God said, and God said, and this happened, and that happened. It can happen for us, too. In fact, it is happening for us, too. Oh, I see so many miracles, it ain't funny. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Friends, let me tell you something. God's message, His extravagant message of His love, His outrageous generosity, and His great grace must be be proclaimed to the uttermost part of the world and the earth, and then Jesus will come. It hadn't happened yet. Then Jesus will come. There's so many scriptures in here about us having power. Oh, friends, I, let me stir you up to go look for them later, okay? Let me give you another one, though. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, very familiar. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I believe this. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. You see that love is connected. You see this grace, love connected with this power. Amen. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. That's dunamis again, by the way, miracle power, of love and a sound mind. Then he goes on to say, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I'm going to tell you something. You'll change the whole world if you'll just start learning to testify about what God has done for you. God's goodness. That will open more doors for you than you can even imagine. The word is your testimony. He says it right here. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, verse 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works. (laughs) Listen, I wish I could take credit for writing this, but the Apostle Paul's already did it. But it's the message we preach. He said right there, he said, he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. In other words, when I couldn't contribute, when I was powerless, when I had the breath knocked out of me. When I was ungodly, it was then that He called me with a holy calling, and it wasn't because of anything I've ever done. I don't stand and preach in of Grace Ministries because of anything I've done. It was just simply a continued part of His calling. But according to His own purpose and grace. According to His own purpose and grace, which was given us. Now listen, did you hear it? It said it was given to us. We didn't borrow it. We didn't steal it, and we didn't buy it, friends, and we didn't work for it. It was given to us, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus before the world began. So you couldn't even be part of the committee saying, I think I deserve it. (laughs) It was before God laid the foundations of the earth. He said, hey, I'm going to give you a gift. I can see the gift already in manifestation. Amen. How did we get this power? Jesus uh, released it through the love for his daddy and his love for me. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, I find these words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. He wants to strengthen us with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. See, I told you, it's the spirit man. It's the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's how Romans chapter 5 begins, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And he says, And I pray that you be rooted and established in love. See, that's the key. When we get established in love, and that's what the message of grace and His unconditional love does for us, it keeps establishing brick by brick by brick. You don't build it overnight. It's it's brick by brick. But there's a total makeover that God does in your heart and in your life. He said that you may be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. We sang the song this morning. He said, what are you going to grasp? How wide and long and high is the and deep is the love of Christ. He said, this is what's going to happen. When you start to get this message of how wide and how deep and how tall, the breadth, the length, whatever, he said, when you get that message, friends, you're going to see power flowing in your life like you have never seen it flowing before in your entire life. And to know, he says, after the how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, I love that word, more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. His power that is at work within us. See, his power is not just held off in some other realm. His power is in us. And His name is Jesus, by the way. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And then He says, Amen. Can you comprehend the Son's love for Daddy? Can you comprehend the Son's love for you? Can I comprehend the Son's love for me? I can't fully register this and get this totally in my head. But I can sense it at work in my spirit, man, and it's working out into the other parts of my body. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. and His love is made complete in us. This is how that we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Do you see how easy it is to get God in? You acknowledge Christ, you acknowledge God, He comes and lives on the inside of you. And so we may know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. Here's an amazing statement, he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. We're like Jesus, because we've been reconciled, remember? We've been reconciled to look like Him, so of course we're like Him. It's in the Word. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, because perfect love drives out fear. We sang that on the very last song, didn't we? When we sang, you unravel me with a melody, you surround me with a song, you deliver me from my enemies, so all my fear is gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. But let me say it like this too, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to shame. I'm no longer a slave to guilt. I'm no longer a slave slave to condemnation. I'm no longer a slave to judgment. I'm no longer a slave to addictions. In fact, I'm no longer a slave to the old covenant either. I've been delivered from all that. He says, you split the sea, so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. It's right here in 1 John. He's talking about the first love. He's talking about his powerful love. This perfect love, they call it. He says, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. He didn't say you're not saved. He just said you have not been made perfect yet in love. In other words, you don't have this understanding that it's not about you, it's about Jesus. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And then my last group of scriptures in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's all you need! It says it right there. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God does the justifying. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. He says it in the Word. Who is the one that condemns? And he says, no one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for you. He's interceding for me. He's interceding for us. He's interceding for the world. And then he he begins this this wonderful exchange of words, starting in verse 35, when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And just in case you can't think of anybody, let me give you a list, okay? And let's see if it's on this list, okay? Shall trouble do it? How about hardship? how about persecution? How about famine? How about nakedness? How about danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. That's what he said. He said, we face death all day long. You know, when the Apostle Paul said, I die daily, we've misunderstood that scripture as well. We think, ah, man, i got to get up in the morning and i got to die to the flesh. No, you don't. Listen, what he was saying, he was saying literally, I'm facing death all day long. What he's saying is, I've determined when I get up in the morning, what's the worst thing you can do to me? Take my life? you tried it several times. You beat me up. You you stoned me. You left me for dead. I spent the night and day in in the open sea on three occasions. He said, you know, I face death all the time. I die daily. I've already determined in my mind I've died. I've died to Christ. You can't kill a man twice. I've died daily. I've already died. I've determined in my heart. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors. We, saw, we sang about that today. Through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation... He's just saying, listen, I gave you a list of things that couldn't separate you, but in case I missed something, nothing else in all of creation. And by the way, Jesus created everything, didn't he? The Bible says by him all things consist. (laughs) He said, so listen, the devil didn't create nothing. He can't even manufacture anything because he's not a creator. He said, I made everything. And I'm telling you, everything that's out there, nothing can separate you from my love. You can't even separate. You can ruin your life, but you can't separate yourself from the love of God. Amen. The love of God is amazing. And then John 14. Listen at Jesus' heart for his daddy. John 14, beginning at verse 28, he says, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Jesus said he has no hold over me. Where are you at? You're in Christ, right? He has no hold over you. Jesus said the prince of the world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me to do. Amen? Several years ago, my best friend, his daddy, had something attack his lungs, and he was reduced down to a, an oxygen tank round the clock. It was so bad that he said to me one time when I was visiting, he said, Mark, I can't get my breath. I can't get my breath. He said, I'll tell you what it's like. He said, someday, he said, you just put a straw in your mouth, pinch your nose closed, and try to breathe through that straw, in and out. And he said, you'll get an idea of what it's like. Here's a man that was powerless to do anything. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't mow the lawn. He couldn't even go to the store. He did not know God. He was a a little guy, but he was as tough as nails. He had been in the Navy at one time. And I saw him without his shirt on one time and he had a a battleship tattooed across his chest. You know, a chest is a very tender spot for a man. And to have a battleship across your chest? This is Popeye, the sailor, really. One day after church, it was Easter Sunday, I remember that. when We were pastoring in Beloit. It was Easter Sunday. And when we got done, I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to drive an hour away and I want you to minister to that man. Here's a man that can't get his breath, and he doesn't have the breath of life inside of him. I said, God, I know that man. He's hard to talk to, and you want me to go tell him about the gospel? And I said, God, I've been in his home so many times, if he doesn't like what I'm saying, he's going to pick up the remote control and turn the TV sky high, because I've watched him do that before. He said, go. Okay, here we go. So we dri- we're driving. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I want you to do three things for me, three things for me, Number one, no interruptions, no phone calls, nobody coming by. Number two, you've got to get him to shut that television off. And number three, you've got to show me how to transition my conversation from natural to spiritual. That was my request to the Lord. In my mind, I was saying, well, God, if I don't get these opportunities, then I'll just realize it's not the right time. And I heard the Lord say to me, "Where that man spends eternity is up to you. And I remember crying. Now listen, let me frame this because I I couldn't save him. I'm not saying I could save him. But he said to me, I'm not sending anybody else. Everybody I've asked to go has said no. I began to cry and I said, Lord, that's heavy. That's really heavy on my heart. And the Lord went completely silent. When I got there, I visited with his wife for a few minutes in the kitchen, walked around the living room. There he sat in his chair with the television blaring. I sat down in a chair across from him and I was only in that chair for five minutes and I watched him pick up the remote control and turn the TV off. I've never seen him do that before. It began to build this faith in my heart. I'm like, Lord, you're really in this, aren't you? The whole time I was there, I was there for about an hour, there was no phone calls, nobody coming to the door. And I don't know to this day how we transitioned from natural conversation to spiritual, but there came a point in time where I looked across the room to him and I said to him, Keith, do you know what a sinner is? And he said to me, yeah, it's a guy that does bad things. And I said to him, no, sir, it's not a guy that does bad things. Now, sinners will do bad things, but it's not what makes you the sinner. And I told him, I said, what makes us a sinner is because we've all missed the mark, and the mark is Christ. That's what makes us the sinner. And I explained that in a way that he could understand it. And I looked at him, and I asked that poignant question. I said, Keith, would you consider yourself a sinner? And I watched his head shake up and down. And I said, friend, would you like forgiveness for your sin? I came over and I knelt beside him. He put his hand in my hand, and I watched a man birthed into the kingdom of God, a man who could not get his breath. Spiritually speaking, I watched it take place. When I was done praying that prayer with him, he was pushed back up in that chair. I'll never forget the image. With all of his might, His wife got up off the couch and walked around and looked at him in the face like this, and she said, are you okay? He shook his head yes. She said, do you need a nitroglycerin pill? He said no. I said, ma'am, what you've just seen is a man born in the kingdom of God. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you that because there are people out there that cannot get their breath. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. And God has entrusted that privilege, that ability, that freedom, that power to go out there and take this message of his love and his grace and tell them what Jesus did. Why did our Savior lay down his life for the ungodly? It was so that he could write the same message with his blood on the cross and in the word of God, the same message that Paco's dad wrote to him. All is forgiven. I love you. Love, Daddy. Friends, Jesus laid down his life so that He could unveil His love for Daddy, love for me. Father, I want to thank You for Your great grace. I have stood here and I have proclaimed and preached the Word exactly the way You gave it to me. I left nothing out, even though I started to. Father, this is what You put in my heart, and I I pray that it would encourage Your people. And I pray, Father, that even beyond that, it would build something in their heart that this message of grace is such a reality. Father, I want to thank you that we have the breath of life. His name is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of us. We have been sealed until the day of redemption, and nothing can change that. It makes me happy. It makes me healthy on the inside, in Jesus' name. And, Daddy, I want to just thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love today, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.